from Canada, Warner Brothers Seven Arts Records brings you The Collectors. young Canadians who know where the seeds are planted, widening the grooves of your mind in their first album on Warner Brothers Seven Arts Records, The Collectors. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Denard War, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Thank you, Cliff Nesteroff, for that amazing nugget from the Warner Brothers vaults, courtesy The Collectors. Today on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with Little Wayne from New Orleans and Joey Shithead from DOA, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's Joey Shithead. Right now, well, here's Little Wayne. And I think we'll get Little Wayne to introduce himself. Uh, maybe we won't get Little Wayne to introduce himself right there. We'll get Little Wayne to introduce himself in a way that is proper for Little Wayne to introduce himself. Here's Little Wayne. What's this Little Wayne right here, a.k.a. Wheezy Baby? Call me what you want. Just don't call me after 12. My kids will be asleep. You are watching Nard Wars Video Fault, you dig? Who are you? Young black motherfucker named Lil Wayne from Holly Grove, USA. Lil Wayne, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. Pleasure. Lil Wayne, I have a gift for you right off the bat that has some Vancouver flavor. A Cheech and Chong record. Oh, shit. This was up. I appreciate this. Because Tommy Chong is from Vancouver. I know. This is some real Canadian love right here. Now, open it up there, Lil Wayne. What's inside of this Cheech and Chong record? Oh, you got some rolling paper. You got some... It's the rolling paper version. It's the rolling paper version. Usually, I... the rolling paper is con. Yeah, I know, but I'm 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 lucky. I got some with the rolling paper in it. So I got the big bamboo Sabrinos de Cheech and Chong Alcoy, whatever that means. Now, also from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, well, Victoria is Steve Nash. Yeah, I just had Steve Nash. Uh, he made a guest appearance in my show when I was in Phoenix. Yes, you share something in common with him. You both had lap dances from Nicki Minaj. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think his was a little better than mine because he looked a little more excited than I did. So I need to talk to Nicki about that. But yeah, we do. What's it like getting a lap dance from Nicki Minaj, Little Wayne? Um, I've been talking to um, Webster about creating more words because there isn't any words that we have now to explain it. Mm-hmm. I heard that you, like, snuck up on stage. That's what Nikki said, that she didn't know you would be the lap dancer. Yeah. Uh, her dancers does this routine every night where they bring this chair out. So I figured I'd just be already sitting in a chair when they bring it out. So, yeah, it worked. Little Wayne, you're in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Vancouver's part of the Northwest, you know, Seattle and Portland. Mm-hmm. 
And from Seattle, Washington, I wanted to bring you a little gift here again. You can put that record down there if you'd like. <laughs> if you want to open this up, it's a little gift from an exhibition that's happening. And what is this from, Little Wayne? Oh, it's from Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Taking punk to the masses. Believe that. Smells like teen spirit. Shout out my man Kurt Cobain. You already know. Yes, it's an exhibition that's happening in Seattle, and it has all this great stuff that Kurt Cobain's been associated with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you're not going to be able to make it to Seattle, are you? I won't be able to make it, but I'm glad I got a piece of it right here in my hand. Well, I got more than that for you, Little Wayne. I got this book for you right here, Nirvana Taking Punk to the... Masses, from nowhere to never mind. All filled with amazing stuff about Nirvana and the bands inspired Nirvana. Like, check it up. Open up. It even has the... Um, um, it even has the, the lyrics. Lyrics, and check this out, some Kurt Cobain artwork right here. Oh, you know what? This, this is like a book I got before from uh, a Jimi Hendrix book. It has, um, it actually has Jimi Hendrix's art, and it has his lyrics in there as well. So I, I collect these type of things. So this is a good thing right here. When did you first get into Nirvana? Um, when I was young, they used to have a, a te television station called The Box. And it used to uh, call the station and order a video. And Smells Like Teen Spirit used to always be on. Used to, the video would always be on, and um, you had no choice but to get into it from there. And that was in, like, 93, 92, I want to say. I don't even know. Now, I was wondering, was that around the same time, Little Wayne, that you were into Pimp Daddy? Oh, shit. What can you tell the people about Pimp Daddy? Pimp Daddy was a cash money artist, and... uh. He used to have this song out called Gots To Be Real. It was a real big song. Now, this guy, Pimp Daddy, was such a classic in New Orleans and such a hit that my actual first rap name... Was Shrimp Daddy? Was Shrimp Daddy. And I named myself because I was short, so I took the shrimp. And I wanted to be like this guy right here, Pimp Daddy. And I noticed Little Slim is on there as well. Yeah, Little Slim is on here. Little Slim is the artist that got me my, my record deal with Cash Money Records. So, Little Wayne, way back then when you want to buy a cassette, you go to Odyssey Records? What was Odyssey Records? You go to Odyssey Records right in the Carrington Shopping Center, and you would, in the, um, on, a, on a nice day, you'd find DJ Khaled in there DJing and selling records. Did you do some in-stores there as well, Little Wayne? Uh, I actually did. I signed, I did a whole bunch of autograph signings there, and uh, I probably even performed there before. I did everything at Odyssey. Odyssey, it, 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 was, it played a major part in Cash Money's upbringing. Little Wayne, what do these numbers mean to you? 522-366 and 516 5196-5109. Those are babies. Uh, the last number you'd named, that was baby's pager number. The first number you called out, that was Cash Money's office number. So where would have you got these numbers? Did you get the numbers at Odyssey? Is that where you met baby? That's where I met baby at. That's where I got the numbers from. He gave me this card, and it had his name on there. Brian Williams, CEO, Cash Money Records, 504-596-5109, 504-522-3660. Now, we're here in the 604, but I'm going to bring it back to the 504, Little Wayne. I have a New Orleans gift for you. This is from King Lee and Quintron. Okay. And it's called Tire Shop, this particular record. Quintron is an amazing keyboardist from New Orleans. Okay. And it's about the tire shop on Claude Avenue, the only tire shop in the Ninth Ward that stayed open during Katrina. Okay, yeah, which, which, is, which is important because people needed things like that. 
And what I wanted to point out was really interesting on this is a little sign. What do you see on the little sign right there that's written? <laughs> it says no laudering, no crack selling, no cat selling, no facts, no Mr. Sam. <laughs> it's wow, yeah. And I was wondering, what is no cat selling? That's pussy, where I'm from. So the tire shop would be? The tire shop would not be allowing you to sell pussy, not crack. No, no, no laudering. You couldn't hang out. And at the bottom of that, it says the facts. That's the facts. And if you look hard, it says NOPD. That means the police was backed up behind that. So yeah, he would call the police if there's a problem. I think that's what they're saying. Mr. Samuel, Mr. Samuel will be called. Um, I'm guessing either Mr. Samuel ran the, he runs the tire shop or he's NOPD. One or the other. So that's a gift for you to check out. Quintron and King Lee. From Tire Shop, okay. And also wondering, Little Wayne, I know a little bit about Manny Fresh, but what about Gregory D? Oh, shit, Gregory D. Gregory D was like New Orleans' first real big hip-hop artist. You know what I mean? Like, he had this song called Buck Jump Time. Let me see if it's on here. Um, no, it's not on that one. I don't hear, but... Let me see if he got something on here that we did. No, that was cool. Uh, Throwdown, I think, was pretty cool. Throwdown was big, but uh, I think it was uh, Monster Boogie and Bust Down. But, uh, yeah, like I said, Gregory D and Manny Fresh, they were two guys. They, they, um, Manny Fresh was the DJ. Gregory D was the rapper. And, like I said, they were New Orleans' first real group hip-hop group. As you can see, they got the gold chains on. He got a watch around his, a stopwatch around his neck. He got a medallion, he got the little nylon suits on, fresh got on a Nike suit, looking real crazy back there. So, yeah. Is that the beginning of Bling? Do you think that's the first instance of Bling on a record, Lil Wayne? Um, no, I would give that to uh, somebody like uh, Big Daddy Kane or Kuma D or somebody like Slick Rick or something. They started that. Lil Wayne, what about MC Thick? MC Thick. MC Thick was an artist from New Orleans as well. He wasn't from my neighborhood, but there was this producer that he used to run with, this guy named Lil Daddy. He was from my neighborhood, so MC Thick would actually be in my neighborhood a lot. He had this song called... Uh, Marrero? Marrero, cruising down the street real slow, and the fellas be yelling, Marrero. Little Wayne, I'm fascinated by the artist T-Smalls and Big Balls. Who is T-Smalls and Big Balls? You're on a record by T-Smalls and Big Balls. I don't know who this is, Slim. I really don't. Hold on, I'm about to tell you right now. Hold on. You see what it says? Oh, old dimers, big timers. I don't know. I really don't know about this one right here. Because I was looking really hard. T-Smalls and Big Balls, it looks like. You got baby. You got me, baby. It actually, it just has me and baby. So this must have been a song that me and baby got paid. Got a little one. Got a little probably got a little seventy five hundred dollars or something, and did a song for whoever Fat Rap Tracks was and whoever T Smalls and all them people. Yeah, yeah. T Smalls and Big Ball. You let you know I was hustling, brother. I don't know about their names, but I know I got paid. Little Wayne, you did this song Trigger Man with Currency. Mm-hmm. And what I was wondering about that, the Trigger Man beat. What can you tell the people about the importance of the Trigger Man beat by the Showboys to New Orleans? Oh, it's drag rap. Um, this beat right here is, I, I, I'm trying to find a, a, a proper word. It's like the foundation of New Orleans bounce music. Uh, this song, it's called Drag Rap. 
in New Orleans, we call it Trigger Man because he says Trigger Man like once or twice in the song. So we just thought that was the name of the song. But uh, it's originated from an old show they used to have called Dragnet. And um, they dubbed they dubbed the music from the show and they made a song out of it. And I tell you now, it, this was in probably 1990 or something when this song popped off in New Orleans. And I lie to you not, you can play this song. In 1990, you play it, people will go bananas. You play the song right now, 2011, in New Orleans, people will go bananas. I don't know what it is about this song. I don't know what it is because I've actually been everywhere else and I asked them, do you have a song or something that just your state or your city hears and it just means everything for everyone? They don't. This song right here is New Orleans. The show boys, drag rap, trigger man. And I love the way you give a props to them. Like you say, showboys, when you do the track with currency. That's great. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did. Right off the bat, right up to the showboy. Yeah, they was, from New, they was from New York, believe it or not. The showboys, they were from New York, but we took that song and we fell in love with it, man. Little Wayne, what type of food do you like? Pussy. Do you ever go to Parkway Bakery in New Orleans at all? Never even heard of it. Because they have like alligator po'boys. Have you ever had like an alligator food at all? Nah, I don't do that stuff. Even though I'm from the south, the country, or whatever you want to call it, I don't eat alligators. I don't eat none of the shit that natural, normal people don't eat. I don't fuck with that shit. Little Wayne, what about food? Have you ever considered or been approached by the Rap Snacks Company? Because here's some rap snacks. Miss Toy, a rapper, it was on the Up and Smokes tour. She has her own rap snacks, and the big timers had rap snacks, chips too. They sure fucking did. They did. They sure did have them, man. And I actually know Miss Toy as well. <laughs> Shout out to Miss Toy, wherever she at right now. But uh, yeah, Miss Toy was a universal artist. That's why I know. But anyway, yeah, um, Baby and them had their own chips, the big timers chips. They really did. They, they did. Sour cream and dill. I don't remember the flavor, but they had their own rap snacks. You're not lying. Yes. What about yourself, the Little Wayne? What would your flavor be if there had to be a flavor? Honestly, I want to say we probably had our own flavor, like the Hot Boys, and I think it was like Hot Chips. Yeah, I think we did. Little Wayne, Cash Money Records is quite amazing. I was so impressed that Tina Marie, Tina Marie was on Cash Money. Mm-hmm. In yeah. one of her last interviews, she gave you big props, too. What can you tell the people about Cash Money and Tina Marie? Tina Marie, I really don't know how that how that situation came about, but I know I was fascinated as hell when I found out that she was down with the family, and, you know, it just made it that more memorable, and it made it that, that much better to be a part of something like Cash Money Records and to know that I was a part of it when we were actually listening to Tina Marie. And so now, I mean, to know that she was actually a part of this and, you know, of course she's no longer with us, then I feel like I'm a part of a history that was bigger than I ever imagined. So She hung out a bit with Rick James. Did you ever meet Rick James at all? I never got to meet Rick. Little Wayne, also in New Orleans, do you ever remember a place called the E&J? Did you ever hang out at a place called the E&J or Club 49? I never hung out at Club 49 because when Club 49 was popping, I was small. I was probably about eight. Nine. I made a bunch of raps about Club 49 when I was that age. Do you remember any of them? Um, nah, I'd care not to. But uh, I used to just put the, the club in my song, so when an older person hear my raps, they'd be like, what the hell does this little boy know about Club 49? But I'd never been there. I couldn't even tell you how to get there. But uh, E&J, E&J is, uh, that's a spot in, in, in my neighborhood. And uh, my mom actually still hangs there to this day right now. 
Little Wayne, any luck getting Frank's... It's called ENC. Any luck getting Frank Sinatra's car? Weren't you trying to get Frank Sinatra's car? I was trying to get Frank Sinatra's car. I had uh, my man E.I., on that situation I don't know You know he, he is getting a little Older these days So I don't know If he just totally Forgot about the situation Or something like that But yeah I was I was bidding on Frank Sinatra's car They didn't want nothing But like 30000 for it And uh, I don't know What happened Whatever happened To that situation um, I'm so not into Collecting cars no more So I'm not sure If I want it anymore Because I got four kids now So I gotta collect Little Hot Wheels Yeah Little Wayne, lastly, Drake helped set up this interview between you and me. Okay. And I guess I was wondering, could you give a little shout-out freestyle to Drake for setting up this interview? He really went beyond the Call of Duty. He, like, emailed a whole bunch of people. He faxed a whole bunch of people. You name it. All right. Shout-out to my man, Drake, coming from your boy, Toon. Thanks for hooking me up with this interview with this crazy-ass dude. Nardward, a human serviette. Yeah, whatever you just said. Well, thanks much, Little Wayne. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do. I fucks with you, homie. Believe it. How long you gonna hold that for? <laughs> you gonna hold it for a long time. <laughs> so I'm gonna stand right here till you finish. <laughs> and cut. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're on St. Claude and Louisa. A Joe Pete's tire shop. Okay, let's check it out. Come on to the tire shop. St. Claude and Louisa. Joe Pete is the boss. King Lee is the. Featuring Brother Q. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe. I know Joe. Well, you all love this. I'm free of this shit. King Joe. I'm King Lee. Yeah, you're right, brother. Joe. I love you, man.
to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Just before what we just heard, you heard Quintron and King Lee with Tire Shop. And before that, an interview with Little Wayne. And right now, we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello, host. I am here. Who are you? I am Joe Shithead. A.K.A. Joe Keithley of DOA. Yeah, that's correct. Now, just before you came on, Joe, I incorrectly introduced a song. We didn't hear Waiting For You, did we? What did we hear, and what's the background on that, and what is DOA? Uh, uh, That's funny enough, that song is Get Out Of My Life, which is on uh, Hardcore 81. And uh, we'll get into it in a minute, I guess, but uh, there's a funny correlation because I'm just looking at the lyrics in my new book, and right beside the lyrics there's a picture of former president, now deceased uh, president, Ronald Reagan. So that's what that is, get out of my life. 
Now, that particular track is mentioned in many of the CDs that you have put out, and I kind of got it mixed up with another one, Waiting For You, and it made me think of Numbers, Joey, of DOA. Numbers, you have a brand new book. What is it called, your brand new book? It's uh, Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, uh, an illustrated history of DOA. Of your rock and roll punk band, DOA. And it made me think, Joey Shithead, of DOA. Talk minus action equals zero. Speaking of numbers, how many different things have you named talk minus action equals zero? Uh, This would be the third thing. And what are those things? Uh, Originally, there was a live album in 1990-91 called Talk Minus Action Equals Zero. And then last year we did a studio album, like 20 years after the fact, uh, the first one called Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, and now there's a book. Um, I guess it's basically it's our mantra or like uh, raison d'etre, you know, whatever you want to say, you know. Talk Minus Action. It's an amazing book. It's like a picture book, Joey. It's like a picture book. Yeah, it combines um, like photos, lyrics, uh, album covers, posters, and then... um, uh, I should point out there's a lot of text that goes with it that because it goes through like in a, a linear fashion, um, you know, from year one to now, so basically 33 years, it covers everything, but there's a lot of stories that go with it uh, inside the book. So it kind of ties it together. It gives you a flow as you, you can flip through the book and just look at stuff, or you can read through it and look at the posters and see how the, the stories make sense beside, uh, you know, the lyrics, the poster, whatever, right? So. It reminded me a bit of the book Fucked Up and Photocopied, which I think you contributed to. You know what? It is a little bit like that for sure. That's a great book if people haven't seen that, but it's a spectacular display of like uh, old, uh, old school punk slash hardcore punk uh, posters circa like, what, 78 to about 85, something like that. You know, mostly American and, uh, you know, quite a lot of Canadian stuff in there, like SNFU, DOA and stuff like that, you know. You had a book previously, I Shithead. Yeah. Is this more uncensored? Like now, Joey, that your kids are grown up, can you set the record straight? And did they read your other book? I, I think uh, my oldest son, who's now 23, uh, probably read bits of it, right? You know, but the, the generation, uh, younger people, a lot of them, uh, they, don't see, they don't really read a lot of books unless they have to for school, you know what I mean, right? So um, this this book is like pretty straightforward i mean you'll have to take a read through all the text and uh you know what i mean it's, it it kind of goes from um uh the activist point of view and it goes from uh at times from a, a drunken point of view right <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it's kind of got a bit of everything in it right so and it shows you saved everything, and we're speaking here to Joey Shithead from DOA. If anybody has any questions for Joey, it's 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. Or you can also tweet at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. If you have any questions for Joey Shithead, who's talking about his brand new book right now, Talk Minus Action Equals Zero. You basically saved everything, didn't you, Joey? You saved everything. Well, I had about 14, to, uh, 14 boxes of posters and then probably another four of photos. And uh, there was actually some really good stories that uh, I couldn't get in there because I couldn't see. Each story that was in there, I had a corresponding photo or image, like the band photo, album cover, but mostly posters. It's heavy on posters, right? And... Um, so there's a few a few things. I can't think of one offhand right now, but I'm going, oh, shit, I wish I had this right here now, but I don't. So 
I saved almost everything, like 90%. That's what I was kind of thinking about as well. There's a lot to think about every week on Hardware Human Survivor Radio Show, but especially with Joe Keithley of DOA. On page 235 of your book, you yep. even saved a poster for the punk rock garage sale in which you sold all your stuff. Yeah, I, I think you came by, and I think uh, if I remember correctly, uh, shit, I'm trying to think. I sold you about three singles that day. It was at the railway, wasn't it? At the railway, but also you had a garage sale I, at I your house. one at Lori Mercer's place over on Rupert and uh, Kingsway. In Vancouver, B.C. That's how that garage sale thing got going, because me and Lori are going like, wow, have we ever got a lot of stuff? You know, his basement was full, my basement was full, so he said, let's have a garage sale. And then I think Zippy uh, got really drunk, and he performed in the backyard like uh, on acoustic guitar and played songs, and uh, we had a cake of beer, you know, it was... One of those kind of things. I kind of grew from there. I had one recently, but I've kind of stopped now. I mean, I have lots of stuff left, but it's kind of like... I, I, it's, you can find an awful lot of stuff on, uh, online if you want, right? You know what I mean? Well, when putting together this book, was there anything that you wished you saved that you didn't save? For instance, at that garage sale at Lori Mercer's house, do you remember selling the SOA record to Scream from Zampano for like about $25? Yeah, you know what? It was more like bulk over like being uh, selective. Yeah, of course that single's worth far more than that, but I don't think it was in that great a shape. Like most of the singles I had were like they're pretty used because they, you know, you know what? They're if they're good records, I listen to them a lot. Well, the ones I bought from you were incredible, like the Hot Nasties from Calgary, and it was like two Joe from the Hot Nasties. A lot of the records had like <laughs> writing on them and stuff, and the Mentally Ill as well. You sold me the Mentally Ill. Thank you, Joey. You're welcome. That's funny about the the hot nasties because I have run into Warren Kinsella a bunch of times uh, in Toronto. He's uh, obviously been like a lawyer and working for the Liberal Liberal Party of Canada. And uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have sold that personalized one, but that's the way it goes. Uh, Good good on you that you were uh, perceptive uh, and picked it up. Well, is there anything that you couldn't find that you wanted to put in the book? And again, as I mentioned to the listeners out there in Radioland, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for Joey Shithead of DOA or tweet at Nardwar. The book is like a great guide for anybody interested in punk rock in general. Even if they're not the biggest DOA fan, I don't know yeah. why they can't be the biggest DOA fan. It's got a lot of stuff in there. If you just look between the... There's some, a lot of little tidbit stuff. Was there any poster you were looking for that you couldn't find that you wanted to put in there? Uh, there was a few, but I, can't, I had a list. Uh, you know, this took about five months to do. And maybe, if you had asked me this question, like... Two months ago, when we finally did the edited copy and it got uh, sent off for publication, I probably could have told, could have told you ten, but I think I pushed it on my mind because it's only got so much capacity. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? So, I, no, I can't think of one. But obviously, there's some people are going to look at it and go like, "Oh, well, why isn't this one in here?" And you know, you know what? You can only cover so many things, right? It was like it's 300 pages and. Uh, uh, there's a lot, we put in almost everything but the kitchen sink, put it that way, right? So uh, that's why it's pretty cool, and um, I, I'm pretty happy with the way it came out. I, I hadn't seen it yesterday, and I was blown away when I took it out of uh, the envelope. Uh, my publisher, Arsenal Pulp Press, um, sent me an advanced copy, and I was going, like, holy Christ. I, of course, I'd seen it online, and it was there for all the editing, but to see the actual finished copy was pretty cool. And we have a caller. Caller, are you there? I am not aware. Go ahead to Joe Keithley of DOA. Hi, Joe. I uh, saw the book. It looks great. Uh, just a couple quick questions. Um, what was it like? There was a poster in there. You guys played with Deep Wound. 
where do you remember where that was? Like it's, a, it's in the beginning of the book. It's a, it's way way back. Deep wound. Uh, it like not in Vancouver though. I I would imagine not. It probably in the states. Uh, you know what? I have no recollection right now. Okay. Because remember, Joey, Deep Wound sure, turned sure. into Dinosaur Junior Sebado. Oh, well, then it must have been like somewhere out, out east then in, in Boston then, right? So is that the one that's got the FUs on there? Is that the channel? I think so. Yeah, it could be. Okay. Uh, we did some really incredible shows in Boston in the early days, uh, uh, like a couple that turned into riots and a couple there were a couple more that were like almost riots. And, uh, we always, there's always been a great affinity between Boston and DOA, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool, but I don't remember specifically Deep Wound, obviously. And, Caller, you have another I question? I do. Uh, when did you stop using the Neighborhood Watch logo, and were you asked to stop using it? No, we never were asked. Uh, we originally, like, uh, we saw that thing uh, for people, your listeners out there, it's like the, it looks like the spy versus spy guy from Mad... Uh, uh, not mad, but yeah, mad. yeah, mad. Yeah, and uh, it's a shadowy character, and uh, they used to put it on construction sites. And Dave Gregg used to work at a construction company, so he would rip off these uh, warning uh, signs. They're big yellow and black uh, sticky things they put on construction sites. And uh, in the old days, all the punks had them on the back of their jackets. And it was such a, it was kind of a unifying thing. And then we came up with this idea: of, okay, let's call ourselves like the the West Coast Death Squad type thing, and uh, um, and use that as a symbol. We recently, most recent use of that was probably on, uh, there was a, a retro release on my label uh, called Punk Rock Singles, mm-hmm. and that is on there. And it's also, of course, still the cover of uh, a 7-HVP called Positively DOA. I think it's a great symbol, and we're going to reissue uh, Positively DOA, so you'll see it again in the near future, I, I suppose. And, cool, thanks. And, yeah. caller, I found the poster that you're referring to, and it's Conflict Presents DOA Live with... Toxic Reasons, the FU's Deep Wound, All Ages at the Channel in Boston, Joey. Yeah. Right, okay, what, yeah, I, I'm looking, wow. what page is that on, Nardwar? That is on page, are the page numbers? Uh, page 77, page 79, page 79. I have a copy of the book here, obviously, I'm flipping through. Yeah, um, I know, uh, I've never really seen Dinosaur Jr., I know the last guy, time there in town, they called me up and Tried to get me to the show, but I couldn't get down there, right? So, uh, yeah, like I said, Boston was a great scene. I think the reason why they had kind of affinity affinity to us, because they were kind of considered outsiders, and they weren't cool like L.A. or New York. So there's kind of like, you know, and the Canadians coming in was like, oh, okay, these guys are really outsiders. They're from another country that most people in the States didn't know where Vancouver was, right? So I think that's one of the things that made DOA a phenomenon, that people couldn't believe that this kind of music came from Canada. And it was just, uh, you know, right right place, uh, right time. You know what I mean? Well, thanks so much for phoning in, caller. Any other questions for Joey no, from DOA? No, that's thanks, man. Well, thanks so much, and do 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 And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Nardwarda Human Survey Radio Show. If anybody else has any questions for Joey Shidhead, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Joey's released this great talk minus action equals zero. Illustrated history of DOA. You can also tweet at Nardwar. Joe, the caller was asking about the neighborhood watch. Yeah. 
You had a great little anecdote here in your book about it getting released in England, i.e. the record cover being shrunk. What happened there? Oh, yeah, we couldn't believe it. That was like uh, when we did um, our second tour of Europe in 1985. uh, At that point, we had recorded that Let's Wreck the Party. And the American version has uh, a picture of us destroying uh, a party, um, which was conceived by uh, Les Wiseman, right, and, and Ken Luster. And, uh, but we wanted to do something for the British one, right? And uh, we thought it was maybe too campy for, the, for Europe. So we did this thing where you had the neighborhood watch filled up the entire with a yellow background, obviously, and the, the Spy versus Spy guy and the Let's Wreck the Party logo around, in a circle around the Spy versus Spy guy. Anyways, um, and what had happened, the artwork before it went to um, the album printer, they had taken it and put it in an ad like for, in a British magazine, you know, Sounds or New Music Express or something, and they put on the on the symbol, shrink down to 17%. And what happened, nobody had taken off, and then they sent it along to uh, the album cover printer. So these misprints came out. We got to England, uh, you know, and the record just came out, and basically the record company, Alternative Tentacles, the head guy opened up the box and went, we all went, what the fuck? <laughs> it was like, it was a spinal tap moment all the way, right? It was like, you know, this is not the cover we wanted, right? So I still have a few of those, actually, but uh, we stole them on the tour, and then uh, Bill Gilliam, who ran the label, uh, he reprinted them with the proper size. So there's probably like 500 or 1,000 of those out there. Way more expensive. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing, right? Uh, <laughs> but we just got shit when we saw that, right? <laughs> Caller, are you there? Yeah. Go ahead to Joey from DOA. Yeah. Yeah, my name's Mark. I'm from Ottawa, and uh, I've been a fan for years, and I'm here in town uh, this week for the Canadian Labor Congress Convention. Oh, okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, you did a song a while back called General Strike, and I was wondering whether you had any plans to do a revamped version now that we're under the dark shadow of the Harper majority. Yeah. And uh, if not, would you consider people, doing something uh, like, like that? Uh, like-minded people like yourself and mine, uh, myself, um, about... Uh, I, when the Wisconsin thing was going on with the, um, you know, them going to lose their jobs and all their benefits and stuff like that, when, with their uh, this stupid uh, governor of Wisconsin there, um, we offered up that song that they could use it, uh, or any DOA song for that matter, as like a, you know, sort of a rallying point for the people on the picket line, right, or occupying uh, the, the chamber there. Um, that there's three different versions of general strike that are available but uh, if you know anybody within the congress that uh, wants to use it uh, feel free we're easy to find sudden joe at suddendeath.com and i'd be more than glad to lend that song or any rdoa song to any kind of labor struggle okay caller Thank you very much i was also going to mention caller joe on page 245 of his book caller has a Green Party benefit CD that you put out. Oh, um, <clears throat> Green Party benefit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's called uh, Green, uh, Green Revolution, isn't it? And then you tweeted recently as well, get yeah. off your ass and vote. Don't vote liberal, conservative, and green. Is that's throwing that's away right. your vote. That's correct. Uh, after the 01 election, I ran for the Green Party in 96 and 01 uh, in uh, Burnaby, Willingdon. For MLA, and uh, after that, I conclude when you had a guy like Gordon Campbell on that the Greens were actually like a vote splitter, and uh, I also found that uh, Elizabeth May and the Green Party, while they have some great environmental policies, that uh, the Social Party is uh, 
social policy is kind of all over the place, if you ask me, right? And uh, so, as myself, I'm a backer of the NDP, and I make no bones about it, right? So, caller, any other questions for Joey? That was it. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, okay, and do 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 do. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. We have Joey from DOA on the line. Oh, I should mention uh, June 4th at the rickshaw, there's a release uh, show, DOA, Knucklehead, The Jolts, um, Rich Hope. Uh, This is a release party for the book. And uh, if you want to come down early between 8 and 9, I'll be there and uh, can sign books or talk or whatever and answer questions, that kind of thing, at, at the rickshaw in Vancouver on June 4th. 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for Joe Shithead or tweet at Nardwar. The early days of DOA are pictured in your new book. Who was Lee and is he pictured in the book? No, I, 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 I wish that, that, okay, that was something I wish I had. Uh, that show we played in White Rock, uh, this is like, you're talking like July uh, or August uh, 1977. And uh, there was a band on stage, and it turned out that was the Smorgs. We listened to them, and that was Art Bergman's, uh, one of his first bands. And then uh, we also, that day, we met uh, Buck Cherry, uh, who would later on to go form uh, the Modernettes and uh, play an Active Dog and all sorts of great, great Vancouver bands, right? And, uh, uh, you know, two real creative guys were at the, the, the show. It was an outdoor band, Shell and White Rock. And uh, we got up there, and people didn't know anything about punk rock. And we had this singer... Lee Kendall, uh, an Australian guy, and that was the only show he ever sang for us. And uh, uh, he, you know, the the, the greaseball hippie type started throwing uh, garbage at us because they didn't like the punk rock. And a couple of them came up to the stage, and Lee punched a couple of them in the head. <laughs> but I wish I had a picture of Lee, and I've totally fallen out of contact with him. I haven't heard from him in 30 years. I guess I was wondering if that was a picture of him because there's no captions in the book. Like, yeah, there's no picture captions. Uh, we thought it maybe got a bit heavy on the print that way, and, it, um, and we thought that most of the people you could probably figure out what page you're looking at. Well, write the one, the picture with Lee in it, like, or the picture, the very, very beginning of the book. Oh, okay, yeah, no, there's... Uh, page 13. Yeah, okay, well, that's actually, and there's the two pictures uh, that Nardwar's talking about, and it's actually, um, they're the old little tiny black and white photos that are about, they were, remember, they're about three by three, and they had this white border around them. That's our promo photos in Toronto. That uh, I think Jerry Hanna, or Jerry Useless of the Subhumans, he was our buddy out there living with us, and he took these photos. And we, this was our big claim to fame. We sent, actually sent one of these photos into um, Cream Magazine, used to have this section in the back send in a photo of your band, and we'll feature you in Cream. And the, you know, it's like a little tiny photo, and we got ours in there, and we were pretty happy. <laughs> Oh, that would have been great if you could have the copy of Cream Magazine yeah, in your it, book. Yeah, well, we probably sent it in maybe about November or December uh, 1977 would be that issue if anybody, a real collector, uh, could find that. And the, the skulls would be, uh, which is the predecessor to uh, DOA and the subhumans, would be in that issue. And even stuff that maybe you didn't want to see, you put in the book. For instance, Joe Keithley's Instinct. As yeah. I mentioned, Joe, well, not that people wouldn't want to see it, DOA, a punk rock band. And then you changed a little bit after DOA broke up for a bit. You did Instinct, and you weren't afraid to put an Instinct poster in the book. Yeah, it was like a rock and roll band. Uh, you know, the rest of I mean, my hair was a little bit long, but the other guys were definitely like long hairs. And uh, uh, we definitely weren't a punk band. We were kind of very rockish uh, type outfit, you might say, and uh, you know what, hey, that's part of history, uh, so you might as well, uh, you know, it, 
You don't want to be like uh, the Communist Party of China or the Soviet Union where you try and whitewash everything. You know what? You got to, you know, that's what we did. I mean, that band, we have a few good songs. I don't think we were, like, really great, but there are the posters right there. The show at the Tom Pump. We played, we played the Balmoral one night, the Pump another night, and then uh, one hour show out in the suburbs. We had a three-show career. What? And there's demos. There's probably about a whole album worth of demos and stuff. stuff. Joey, what have you learned about DOA that you maybe have forgotten in putting together this book? Um, well, you know what's the really hard part was uh, was trying to figure out uh, which uh, poster went with which year. Because a lot of time, a lot of these images, you know, you've got the DOA with the skull and the gun, or you've got DOA with the arrows, or as uh, your first caller pointed out, the, the, the spy versus spy, neighborhood watch guy. There's about five or six different symbols that you see in an awful lot of DOA posters. And, uh, that, and that's also a reason why some gigs you won't see in there, because, it, you know, for one tour, you'd see the same kind of poster over and over again. We thought visually in a book that would be, you know, just not that interesting, right? So... We kind of limited it that way. Um, uh, but, sorry, I lost my point there. What is your question again, Narvar? Well, I guess, what did you learn about DOA oh, yeah, that maybe okay. you didn't well, know about DOA? Point, I couldn't figure out which year some of these posters uh, fit into, right? To, and to try and, because the book's more or less in a linear fashion, right? So I actually just went on the web and I had a, a, a calendar date and calendar finder that uh, went, okay, here's the choice. What's the show in 86? Or here's another Friday, November the 12th, and that was in 93. And then that's why I had to narrow it down. And, I went, and, you know, when I did that, I went, oh, yeah, we went through that tour. I'd totally forgotten about that. And because I also, like, had a bunch of old tour schedules and stuff like that and old calendars. So, so that kind of helped put the whole thing together. So there's tons of stuff. I mean, you're talking about D-Ways probably played close to 3,500 shows. So there's an awful lot that I don't remember. Was it hard to not overlap? For instance, your other brilliant book, I Shithead, has a lot of stuff in it. And this book touches on similar stuff. For instance, like you mentioned playing a biker run in this book, but in the old book you go into detail, but in this book you don't really go into details about it. Yeah, because we we knew that at at first I started writing the text uh, for this new book a lot longer. Then we realized that all the, the images weren't going to fit in, so then we kind of shortened it up a bit, right? And then we went into less descriptive of all the different events and kind of, you know, gave you, gave you a bit of a sketch, but not like him. I should have. There's like a lot of details, right? So um, so the, the other thing was really important. I made sure that I didn't reread I should have before I wrote this. Like, I don't think I've read it since I wrote it. So, you know, basically that was like uh, eight years ago. So, you know, my recollection of details are pretty clear. But, of course, you know, anytime you tell a given story, unless you're telling it all the time, like a politician on a stump speech, uh, it's going to change as, the, as time goes along, right? I like the way how you talk about the biker gang, Satan's Angels, yeah. charging to get into the gig and then charging to get out of the gig. What was that? <laughs> Yeah, well, we had made uh, kind of uh, friends with them because we played this uh, Labor Day run out in uh, Matsqui, this outdoor thing. It was just a debacle. And uh, um, so they kind of, uh, uh, they liked the skulls because they had been up on stage and singing with us, some of the the head bikers, like the vice president of the club and stuff like that. And uh, it was pretty funny. So then they all started showing up at shows, right, Which, which, of course, was completely intimidating uh, to anybody who's not a member of uh, their club, right? And... uh, so they came with this one hall show in Port Moody, which we had uh, some trouble with the police uh, setting up. And uh, um, they said, hey, Joe, we're going to run the door for you. 
And, you know, I said, uh, okay, what am I supposed to say? No, I'm running the door. <laughs> and that kind of guys you argue with, right? And so they charge people, I don't know, two or three bucks to get in and three bucks to get out. I never really realized that you actually had an accident with the famed DOA chainsaw? Yeah, I uh, took off uh, uh, the, my middle, um, uh, the, actually, yeah, the ring finger, the ring finger uh, on my left hand, which is, uh, anybody who plays guitar out there know, uh, knows that, unless you're a lefty, uh, knows that that's the one you push all the blues uh, notes within uh, like a, a lead scale or a blues scale with, right? So, and so um, <clears throat> at the end of the tour, we had the celebrity um, uh, road, road crew was uh, John Wright of No Means No and uh, Mr. Chai Pig uh, uh, on this lot. It was a farewell tour down the West Coast of California and back, right? And uh, uh, the very last show, John Wright said to me, like, hey, because I would do the chainsaw and I would drop it and then pick up the guitar, right? And John Wright said to me, hey, Joe, you know that the, the cover on the flywheel's cracked and there's a hole in it. And I went, oh, yeah, 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 I'll have to be careful. And of course, in the middle of the show, uh, I had forgotten about the whole hole in the flywheel cover. And uh, so the chainsaw didn't have a chain on it, obviously. We would have been dismembering people left and right. But um, uh, I'd stuck my uh, ring finger in my left hand in the flywheel cover, threw it, and it ripped off the top of my finger, right? And I was just, and, you know, we were at this point, we're going, okay, we're retiring. Uh, we got one more show in Vancouver, and uh, that's it. It's over, right? You know, on with the, the rest of life. And uh, I ripped off the end of my finger, and I was, like, so goddamn mad. And uh, there was these... These kids uh, turned out to be guys from like uh, Portrait of Poverty and a few other seminal hardcore bands in uh, um, Seattle, and uh, they were backstage stealing our beer. I came back in a rage and smashed a bunch of bottles, not mad at them, again, but mad at myself for being so stupid, and I smashed all these bottles against the wall, and they ran out, they ran for their lives, right? They thought I was going to kill them, and, uh, you know, so I kind of got it um, kind of covered up with a band-aid and I came back and just sang the rest of the, of the set and uh, Chris Proholm uh, just played guitar right so and we had to do um, a show in, in Vancouver like about two weeks later at the Commodore like a farewell show so then we kind of had to rearrange everything and I had to change the way I played guitar you know so because I couldn't use the ring finger eventually it grew back it's fine now Joey from DOA, what was the plaza? You have amazing artifacts in your yeah. book. Talk minus action equals zero. You even have the menu from the plaza. What was the plaza, and who made the tuna salad? Um, the plaza was a house, uh, 1334 East Georgia, and uh, basically uh, there's four people. There's there eight rooms, so we had eight renters, but the people who ran it was uh, Ken Luster. Uh, he was the guy with the money, DOA manager. Gary Taylor, he was the party facilitator. Uh, Carol Siegel, she collected the rents. And uh, when we had parties, there was me, and I was the bouncer uh, to throw people out type thing, right? And uh, and all bands uh, that came through town would play at the Buddha, and then they would come over and party and crash at the plaza. It was a big house. And uh, so we'd have these parties, and eventually Gary Taylor, not to be confused with the Gary Taylor rock room, like this is a different Gary Taylor, right? And he's a decent individual, uh, obviously. And... Um, he would make up these uh, menus, and uh, you know, you'd have a, a Cuba Libra, and then uh, uh, the food selection would be tacos, and this would be the menu for the weekend, right? Because there'd be a gigantic party uh, every weekend. It was out of control, right? Uh, and actually, Nardwar, you'll be the first to know that I'm actually about halfway through. That's my next book, is about the plaza. 
and I was writing it on the plane uh, to New Zealand and uh, when I was in Australia a couple months ago. Well, that's awesome that you saved the menu, the menu yeah. from the I was, plaza. Yeah, I, was, well, I looked through my box. I didn't realize I had it, and I, I saw that, and I went, oh, this has got to go in, right? So, And anybody who went to the plaza would be like, oh, geez, I remember that place, right? So. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead to Joey from DOA. Hi, Joey. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I have a question, two questions for you. The first question is, uh, what happened to your sound man? Is he still kicking around Vancouver, or do you have a new one? Uh, we don't. Well, sometimes we use Brian else, Brian who else. And uh, uh, which one do you mean? There's a few guys. There was like uh, Hutch. Uh, kind of a bald guy with... Oh, Bob, uh, Bob Cutler, yeah. Bob Cutler, yeah. Uh, he's back in Lawrence, Kansas, and he's still, like, helping put on shows and mix and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, he he's the guy for, I was thinking about, yeah. He lived out here for about four or five years, and he uh, he helped me with the label and stuff like that, and then he moved back to Kansas about five years ago. Yeah, I met him. He was a real nice guy. Yeah, Bob is a nice guy, yeah. yeah. Good guy. Uh, I have another question. Did you ever play with Brian Taylor's band, Youth, 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 in Toronto? Yes, we did. We played, um, uh, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was like a... Uh, like a booze can. Like oh, sorry, can. caller. Can you just turn on your radio a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it was a booze can. Uh, so the show started about one in the morning, and youth, youth, youth played, and uh, we played. And, the, and I think it went on to about five in the morning. That's somewhere you know near downtown Toronto, but I can't remember the address right. So I see. Uh, maybe a maybe one hour show too, right? So yes, they were a good band for sure. Yeah, they were a good band, but they never got the notoriety that uh, you know, DOA I think got. That's, uh, there's been people piecing together historical artifacts like the Lost Pogo. There's an expanded version coming out and uh, stuff that really kind of documents the Toronto scene a little bit better. Yeah, the difference between yeah. Vancouver and Toronto that um, we had a couple of labels out here, like Quintessence Records and uh, Friends Records, mm-hmm. and that really helped document the scene that was here, where unfortunately for... For the Toronto scene, like the Toronto bands were trying to get signed to bigger, bigger labels, and of course that does, just doesn't happen that often, right? So, a lot of bad, good bands didn't really get documented properly, or they're like sudden right? impact. Yeah, it's the same thing, and you know, and the Vancouver bands, like DOA especially, but also the Point of Sticks, the Young Canadians, and the Subhumans did a, like a number of tours around North America, so that kind of really cemented that there was this active scene uh, on the west coast of Canada, right? That, that's kind of the difference. So youth, 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 yeah, they never really got their due. I agree with you. Good band. Any other questions at all, caller? No, sir. Well, thanks so much for calling in, and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Doot-doot. And you're still listening to the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show. We're speaking here to Joe Keithley, Joey Shithead from DOA. And, Joey, you have a book release party coming up. That's what we're talking about, your book, yep. on June the 4th at the rickshaw. Saturday night. Talk minus action equals zero is a book. 604-822-2487. 604-UBCCATR. And actually, Joey, can you speak up just a tiny bit more if that's possible? Oh, God, we- that's probably the first time in my life I've ever been told to speak up. Uh, <laughs> okay, yes, or move, I'll be louder, or sure. move closer to the mic. Actually, it happens I, every I'm week. Being, on a- uh, being my, it's my subtle voice uh, as opposed to my rock voice. Okay, yeah. And it's 604-822-2487. 604-UBCCATR. Tweet at Nardwar. Joe, other sort of places, booze cans in Vancouver, where was Stalag 13 and Dave Grohl's Scream played at Stalag 13? Yeah, Stalag 13 was over at uh, 8 and um, I want to say one block uh, east or west of Camby, I think uh, west of Camby, and uh, Arnold ran it and uh, Bob Montgomery, like Chuck and Dimwit's brother, and... uh, uh, a 
Empire people is escaping me now, right? But uh, long-time scene fixtures. And uh, they had this great hall. It was like an old boys and girls club. Uh, and uh, so they had a space for floor hockey. Uh, we would play floor hockey there on Saturdays sometimes. And uh, they had these shows, and it was, like, uh, incredible, right? And uh, um, it was like, uh, yeah, that David Grohl, that's... Uh, before he was uh, got into Nirvana, that was his band, Scream, right? So they, they opened up for DOA. When you first toured to San Francisco, Dirk Dirksen used to use an umbrella? He didn't uh, at the Mabuhay Gardens. People should... Um, uh, the Mabuhay Gardens was the home of San Francisco punk, just for your listeners. And uh, Dirk Dirksen was the uh, impresario, right? And he would announce the bands, and he would book the bands. He was a great guy, and... Uh, he didn't look like a punk. He was about 20 years older, and he was like an ex-TV uh, producer. Anyways, but he really loved DOA. Like, we had a, a great, he was a great friend of ours. And uh, uh, we played this outdoor thing uh, in Berkeley. It was like TSOL, uh, The Off, DOA, 7 Seconds, stuff like that. And he knew he wanted to come out and introduce DOA. So, but he knew he was going to get, like, bottles and cans and people spitting on him. Because he wasn't on his home turf at the club, right? So then all the punks were going to give it back to him, right? And because uh, when he closed the club, he'd say this stuff like um, he'd get on the microphone at the end of the night at two o'clock, go like, uh, "Please deposit your, your trash into the trash cans, and please resist the urge even to deposit yourself in there, even though you are human trash." He'd say stuff like that, you know, you know, like, "Get out! You're now trespassers." And so uh, he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce one of the greatest bands." Blah blah blah. DOA and all these people started chucking stuff at him, but he opened up his umbrella. And that uh, <laughs> withstood all the crap they were throwing at him, spitting. And in Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, you even have a Dirksen receipt in there, a Dirksen receipt. Yeah, Dirksen Miller Productions, which was his old, uh, that was his old TV production. I forget, he produced game shows down in L.A. and stuff like that. And uh, he quit and became like a punk rock impresario. And uh, yeah, there's a receipt from our payment. I think it's uh, $131. And we were pretty happy with that. That's what's sort of neat about the book, too, is just, like, looking at stuff and then finding the little stuff that's, like, subtly in there. For instance, who screwed who? Yeah, that was, uh, I told my buddy Cliff Barnell, who put on all the shows in Reno, Nevada, that uh, 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 we had this band with us from Minneapolis that nobody had heard of them, but uh, we had played Minneapolis and become friends, and uh, and Cliff said, okay, I'll make up the poster, and we'll pay them or whatever, and uh, what's their name? And I said, they're called Who Screwed Who? And then when we arrived at the venue, or in the south, and arrived at Reno later in the tour, we saw on the poster was, Who Screwed You? And uh, we had a pretty good laugh at uh, Bob and uh, Greg's uh, uh, expense over that. You played the outhouse in Lawrence, Kansas five times. What can you tell to people about the outhouse in Lawrence, Kansas? And there's a ticket from the outhouse as well in your book, Joey, from DOA. Yeah, the outhouse was, uh, it was five miles to uh, the east of uh, Lawrence, Kansas, which is a big college town, uh, kind of near Kansas City. And uh, what you drive, you just get a map. The first time you went there was bizarre. You thought it was going to be like uh, an axe murder scene or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> you drive five miles through a cornfield. Of course, it's very flat, so you can't really see anything when the corn's really grown up. And uh, there was an old cinder block building uh, that they used to rent out, put a, you know, like a pretty good PA in there, and they would hold about three, 400 people. And uh, uh, there was no security perimeter, so they just charged by the carload because you obviously had to come and park somewhere, right? And, uh, yeah, the first thing you did when you got there, you put a lot of bug spray on because, like, uh, all the different bugs would just eat you alive if you hung around outside, right? So 
And you played there five times. And another place was really interesting that I thought you played. The Jockey Club yeah. in Newport, Kentucky. You played ten times? Ten times? Ten times. We held the record for, like, out-of-town bands. Uh, yeah, this was an old uh, gambling den back in the 60s at... Uh, Frank Sinatra, Marilyn Monroe had been uh, patrons at, and uh, the the talent included people like uh, Chuck Berry and Chubby Checker and stuff like that. And uh, people had been uh, six people had been gunned down out on the sidewalk because it was like a gambling town in Kentucky. But people would drive over the Ohio Ohio River over the bridge, obviously, and uh, and gamble in Sin City. And uh, but it fell in great disrepair, and then became a punk rock haven in the, in the 1980s. It was really good. It was pretty cool. Did any band play that club as much as you, i.e., or even play towns as much as you? Like, playing Kentucky ten times and you're from Vancouver, Canada, is that, like, the most of any band that was touring at that time? Was that even up above Black Flag and all those other bands? I think so, because, you know, DOA was going longer, and, like, uh, Black, Flag had, Black Flag played a lot of plays a lot of time because they wouldn't go off tour. Like, they would just go round and round and round in a circle type thing, and... Uh, uh, but with a lot of places, eventually, uh, we, I, I would say we probably passed them a number of times played there just because of the longevity, right? But, uh, yeah, you know, it's like uh, that's how DOA built their reputation uh, besides putting out albums uh, was the touring around and uh, uh, winning people over, which is really, that's the way to do it when you're in a band, you know, for any um, people in bands, uh, you know, you know. And it continues to this day, too, because you're still doing DOA, so you can add, you can maybe add, make 11 times now, right? <laughs> There's a jockey club reunion that we may pay at, play at in uh, September. Oh, you're so, part uh, of the reunion. They invited you to a reunion. Yeah, yeah, to the reunion, yeah. So that would be really cool. And Joe Keithley of DOA, speaking about your brand new book, Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, an illustrated history of DOA. There's something in there as well about bribing a club owner for the gig in Miami. Did you have to use bribes? Uh, well, they didn't really put it that way, but uh, we arrived and there was a hip-hop show at this uh, theater called the Cameo Theater in Miami. It's our first time there. And uh, Miami's a long ways down there, right? So it's a, just a deadhead drive down there, then you work your way back up the I-5, or I mean the I-95, I should say. And uh, uh, so then the, the, somebody got stabbed. They weren't dead, but at the hip-hop show. So the cops, couple of cops came in and said, we're closing the show down. And then the promoter thought, oh, that's no good. Uh, uh, this is terrible. We can't do the show. I'm going to lose money. Then the then the cops. But I said, well, why don't you pay the cops uh, for security? And they said, oh, that's too much money. It's a ripoff, right? And I said, I tell you what, I'll pay the cops. And I talked to the police, and they said, if I give you guys seventy five bucks each, can the the show go on? Or fifty or seventy five? I can't remember. And they went, sure, yeah, we'll hang out. Everything's cool. And I gave them the cash, and uh, that was settled. Oh, wasn't there also a baseball bat involved, like cops, baseball bats, just another <laughs> night for DOA? Yeah, uh, we, we met these weird guys in Miami's, uh, well, it's a, a colorful town, put it this way, right? So, and uh, uh, yeah, Mike Lambert from Winnipeg, who was the tour manager, um, uh, he, uh, you know, we took turns staying in the bus, right, with all the gear, so it didn't get ripped off. And I guess these guys that had kind of befriended Mike or some of the area guys, uh, came around at about uh, 3 in the morning when Mike was sleeping there. Come on, let's in, let's party. But really, they would have just like knocked him on the head and taken everything of value, right? And uh, uh, Mike came out with like a baseball bat, and uh, there's a handle that opens the school bus door, and he banged it on there and said, "I'm, you know, basically I'll bash you in the head if you come any closer, and they, they gave up. Joe, DOA are from British Columbia, and yeah. that caused some problems, didn't it? Colombian license plates? 
Yeah, a few times. Um, yeah, one time in uh, California, it was really bad. We got uh, um, held up by these cops. On the, We were going up from uh, Long Beach, California, up to uh, Las Vegas, and we did 3 in the morning. We got pulled over by these cops, and uh, um, the, guy, the cop approached the car, and then uh, all of a sudden the, he saw there was more than one person in the car, and he ran back, and he said over his uh, loudspeaker on the car that... Uh, don't get out of the car, and then eventually about six six cop cars, like county sheriffs and um, highway patrol and stuff like that, showed up. And we all had to back up towards their voice, you know, with our hands over our head, uh, and uh, we all got cuffed and we all got placed in separate cars. And it turned out the reason why the guy pulled us over was he didn't know where British Columbia was. Uh, <clears throat> it just says something about the American education system. Hey, Nardwar. Um, uh, you know what? I gotta go coach a baseball game uh, in a couple of minutes. I gotta take off. Oh, really? Okay, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, uh, no, 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 no. I got no. This is all good, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book and all this. But, but uh, we gotta go. Uh, our, our South Burnaby team has gotta go. Uh, you know, take it to those guys from North Burnaby. Well, I actually have a few more questions. Go ahead. Well, I was thinking, what about next week? Do you want to phone in next week next for week, part two? Next week's good. Like, uh, I'm actually. What? I'm actually going to have, hopefully, Mike from Agent Orange on. Oh, okay. We're actually playing with them uh, June uh, 18th in Pomona. So, okay, so, yes, uh, next week let's talk. Yeah, what time? Same sort of time. Like, do you want to try 3.30? Can you do 3.30 next week? That would be great. 3.30 is perfect. Well, we'll continue, listeners out there in Radioland with part two next week on <laughs> yes, the Nardwar Human Serviette radio show. <laughs> Just as we leave off with the British Columbians DOA getting pulled off in Vancouver. Yeah, well, it's funny, just the last part of that story, they were, they were all like white cops, except for one uh, cop was African-American. And as they released the handcuffs, the guy went like, uh, so um, uh, what's the name of your band? And I said, DOA. And he said, oh, I heard you, I heard you guys. Maybe I should get an autograph. And the, the white cops all shot them like daggers, uh, you know, through the eyes type thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's, he's, you know, these guys are freaks type thing. So, okay, I'll talk to you next week in uh, actually, Radio Land. And, uh, actually, just hold on one sec, Joe. I was just going to say, we're just going to end right now here with the song 13 yeah. by DOA. What can you tell the people about the song 13 by DOA? And then we're also going to kick into Kill, 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 This Is Pop. Oh, okay, yeah, a couple great songs. 13 is a great song. Uh, it's like uh, basically about uh, like a perv uh, who uh, goes after a 13-year-old girls, right? So it's not uh, autobiographical or anything. No, like it that. wasn't about a 13-year-old punk fan, was it? No, it wasn't. No, it's just like uh, I wrote that song in Toronto in uh, probably November 1977, sitting on the stairway at the Lawrence Hotel, right? So, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, no, it's a good song. And uh, uh, the other one, Kill Kill, This Is Pop, and uh, which is really funny. Uh, we did that for the Vancouver Complication with uh, Jim Walker, who uh, drummed for Pill. He was uh, producing it, and uh, uh, Chuck sang the vocal on it, and then me and Randy went, what are you singing? He says, oh, never mind, never mind, right? Because he was like, he didn't really have the lyrics written, so he kind of mumbled his way through half of it. But it's a pretty funny song. Here we go with 13 and Kill Kill, This Is Pop by DOA. Tune in next week to the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show for part two with Joe Keithley from DOA talking about his brand new book, Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, an illustrated history of DOA. Well, thanks so much, Joe. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do. Think what you want. I will.
you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, DOA with Kill, 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 This Is Pop, featuring Chuck Biscuits on lead vocals. And before that, 13 by DOA. And before that, an interview with Joey Shithead from DOA. Part one of an interview with Joey Shithead of DOA. Tune in next week for part two of an interview with Joey Shithead. Touchwood did. Joey phones in. And also, as I kind of alluded there, we're going to be also joined by, again, Touchwood, Mike from Agent Orange. She's going to be phoning on to an Artwood Human Service Radio Show. So I guess next week on Artwood Human Service Radio Show, DOA Part 2 and Agent Orange Part 1 and no, never the final chapter because Agent Orange are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada very shortly. Speaking of bands coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Shilpa Ray is going to be playing at the Rickshaw on Tuesday. So I thought I'd play something by Shilpa Ray and her Happy Hookers. The song Venus Shaver. Also going to play something by The Rebel Spell from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Brand new from The Rebel Spell. And then also something by Sweatshop Union from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. From the Bill Murray EP. Going to play Bill Murray. So, here's Shilpa Ray and the Happy Hookers, then some Rebel Spell, and then some Sweatshop Union on Denardwar, the Human Serviette radio show on CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, CITR.ca.
Smoke goes speed, rob a bank in the clown suit without shooting. Thank you. Sweatshop is a damn crew. Genius Abbott clown woo. Serious delirium when Bill is on his man shoes. Man shoes. I keep it Murray till I'm buried. Underground dirty, even then still Murray. Steve Zizou, down to the two corn. I keep crowds moving from the Yukon to Tucson. Top villain, nicest on the mic, yeah, still. Even cotton mouth, you could call me Cypress Bill. Murray. Feel that shit, real class, that classic Bill Maddox. What really fucking went? Oh, Wild William Rome with the Buffalo. The ill pilgrim might be the good guy. Likely the villain, but it's still just a billion bill up in the building. Skilled in the art of belittling idiots, sipping hot pots of coffee, hitting rocks in the cigarettes. Y'all need to kill it with that script to get shit. I spit on ten and bombs and keep it Bill legitimate, legitimate. Bill's had it. Bill is in the game again. Cut like a razor's edge. Don't attempt to rein him in. Background lounge laughing, handing out the Jameson. Murray doing that kingpin impression for the lady friend. Hey, hey, ask him for the sacky. Cheers to your help, Bill. Pass the food on Mackie. Actually, who really the Bill is classy? Get him a killer's Bixby. Anyone feel his bitch, please? We fill it the Bill is Bill is Who you go? Who you gon' call? Call Bill, 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 Bill. Who you? Who you go? Who you gon' call? Call Bill, Murray, 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 Murray. Weird 3 is a double-stage, multi-city music marathon curated by Weird Canada, recently named by CBC Radio 3 as the best indie music website in the country. This traveling caravan features 19 emerging Canadian bands in an explosive happening of audible euphoria. Red Mass, Dirty Beaches, Gobble Gobble, Weird Visions, The Famines, Long Long Long, Hobo Cubes, Femininelli, Velvet Chrome, Feral Children, Silver Dapple, Ketamines, Makeout Videotape, Manic Tracks, Roll Moth, Needles Pins, and Babysitter. It's all going down Sunday, May 22nd at the Waldorf Hotel. Doors at 5.30, music starts at 6. Tickets are available from Zoo Shop on Main Street and online at wirdiii.eventbrite.com.
They didn't indeed uh, get anything substantial from their meetings at the White House and at the State Department. Mr. Jibril met with Tom Donnellan, the National Security Advisor. Uh, what they were seeking was diplomatic recognition um, and money for...